This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. Previously on Digger, Dylan and Mac met Mora, a mysterious girl with blue hair who carries a spear. Apparently, she's never been to the surface before, and she's stunned to meet surfacers from above. Lainey had gone looking for the boys and fell down the tunnel herself. In order to keep herself from totally freaking out, she's pretending that she's in a movie. Mora brought the three kids into her airship and quickly flew them to her home before the Union Patrol could find them. And now for episode three, Grebe's Hut. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Digger.
Once again, Dylan found himself in a place too bizarre for words. He was standing in a one-room mud igloo. Crystals hung from the ceiling on individual strings, glowing brilliant shades of blue, yellow, and red. Occasionally, a breeze blew through and made the crystals clink and clank against each other. At one end of the room, there were a couple of stone body-shaped holes in the ground that Dylan could only assume were meant for beds. On the other side of the room, a circular rock with a hole in its center held burning red-hot crystals. All around it were what may have been stone plates and utensils, but looked more like tangled wire than forks and knives. Sitting in the center of the room was something that looked like a big crystal ball. It glowed orange and emitted an incredible warmth that quickly took the chill out of Dylan's wet clothes. He found himself instinctively moving towards it like a campfire at a winter campsite. The polished sphere sank into the ground a few inches, and cloudy wisps of orange spread across its surface. Mac's eyes were glued to it. What is that thing? It is the Chapo, Mora said. Every dwelling has one. It is a firewell dug deep into the earth to bring up enough magma to heat the home. Can I touch it? Mac asked. Not if you want to keep your fingers. Mac gulped and took a step back. Lainey was mumbling to herself. And then I thought, what if they do something really stupid like bust a water liner or hurt themselves? So I came back, but they weren't there, and then I looked down the hole and slipped, and, and, and now I'm here, and... The last sentence was more her crying than actually talking. What is wrong with this girl? Mora asked. She's just rattled, Dylan told her. It was a long fall, and we didn't know there were people down here. Dylan turned to Lainey. Lainey, look at me. Remember, this is all a movie. Lainey nodded and then fanned her face. Okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> it's just a movie. Tell me, young maiden. And that's enough for now. Dylan cut her off. Mora, do you know how... He trailed off as a perfectly round man squeezed in through the back door. The man was pale, like Mora, and had a round face to match his body. But instead of blue hair, he had messy jet black hair with a blue streak down the side. He wore dark blue robes that were held up by a white sash around his waist. He had been muttering to himself when he walked in, but froze and stared wide-eyed when he saw the kids. Nakachtumaf, Mora, he said in a harsh whisper. No, it is safe, father. Mora assured him. They... But before she could finish, the round man grabbed an axe carved out of amber off the wall. It glowed orange under his touch. Dylan and Mac jumped back and Lainey screamed. Mora jumped in front of the man. They are from above! The man stopped and looked between Mora and the kids. Surfacers, he muttered. Mora nodded, and to the relief of everyone in the room, the huge man slowly set down his axe. You breached the underearth? the man asked the kids. Is that what you call this place? Underearth? Dylan asked. The man shook his head in disbelief. 
That is what we call everything under the surface. He looked angrily at Mora and pointed outside. Is this why Union patrol ships are scanning the ring? Mora hesitated. You took the airship out again, didn't you? Again, Mora didn't answer. Mora! Mine is one of only a few garbage collector ships in the ring. It's only a matter of time before they circle back around. They've already passed over us. We're safe, Mora shot back. Can somebody tell us what's going on? Dylan interjected. Who is this guy? Mac asked. This is my father, Grebe, Mora said. Grebe calmed himself enough to offer a slight bow. I'm Dylan. This is Mac. Macintosh, Mac corrected. Macintosh? And that's Laney. Laney did her practiced bow. The man's temper cooled. Forgive me, he said. This is no way to welcome guests into my home, especially such special guests. With a warm smile, the man walked over, grabbed Dylan's face, and pressed their foreheads together. Dylan instinctively tried to pull away until he realized this was some sort of greeting, and he allowed his head to lean into it. No, 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 I'm good, really. Mac tried to stop Grebe from giving him the same greeting, but it was no use. Grebe's beefy hands grabbed Mac's chubby face and pulled him in for a forehead touch. Wow, I can smell your breath, Mac noted. Grebe carried the greeting over to Lainey, who had fully embraced her movie world fantasy, but still couldn't hide her exaggerated, grossed-out expression as their foreheads touched. Perhaps we have a few minutes, Grebe said. It would be a shame to have such important people under my roof and not get some answers. Please sit. Grebe gestured to the round stones by the firewell, and the kids did as they were told. Mora sat on a stone next to her father and studied their faces with curiosity. Tell us, surfacers, how did you come here? she asked. All at once, Mac and Laney started blurting out their versions of the story, but Dylan stopped them. We were digging a hole at school, they caved in and we fell down a tunnel that dropped us onto Mora's airship. A tunnel, you say? Grebe scratched his chin and gave Mora a suspicious look before turning his attention back to the kids. And you've never heard of this place? Should we have? Dylan asked. Is this some kind of secret underground society of cave-dwelling people? Mac asked, as if what he was saying wasn't anything out of the ordinary. The man looked amused with their innocent questions. With some effort, he stood up and began thumbing through the dangling crystals overhead. Laney got to her feet. I don't know what's going on here, but you people are crazy, she said with dramatic gestures. Take us back up to the surface this instant. We'll, we'll call the police. Laney softened her tone and glanced down at her rainbow-painted fingernails. I'm sure you'd be paid handsomely for rescuing us. Well, for me at least. I can't really speak for these two bozos. Grebe chuckled. Those are a lot of words for so little meaning. Sit, Laney, and we shall speak. 
Laney calmly sat back down. I cannot take you to the surface because it is too far a journey, and we do not have the means to get you back. If indeed it was a tunnel you fell through, Union soldiers are surely guarding your entry point as we speak. I patched the hole as best as I could, Father, Mora said. It is possible the patrol overlooked it. Either way, Grebe gave her a stern look. They no doubt saw you flying away from the sky border, which is strictly forbidden airspace, and they will be searching the ring over the next couple of hours looking for you. Since I am one of the few who actually has an airship due to my duties as a garbage collector, it won't take them long to come searching here. Mora lowered her head. Union soldiers, the ring, we haven't heard of any of this, Dylan said. Grebe finally found the crystal he was looking for and yanked it off the string dangling from the ceiling. Of course you haven't he said, taking it to the far side of the room, where he slid it into a black tube. Light shot through the crystal, out the tube, and projected an image onto the muddy far wall. The kids looked up at an image of arched lines, forming something of a rainbow, and above it was a shining star. You don't know about us because you aren't supposed to, Grebe continued. Since the beginning, Earth has been home to many life forms, all existing on different layers of the planet. He pointed to the arched lines rising towards the star. When a species has lived out its time on the surface, inhabitants from the layer below rise up to take their place, and so on until there is no more life left. Mac laughed and smacked Dylan on the shoulder. Oh, man, I told you. I told you. That's exactly what I was talking about. That story you thought was so ridiculous. It's true. Boom. Eat it. Juicy. Ugh, it feels so good not to be crazy. Laney scrunched her face. Juicy? Don't ask, Dylan told her. Dylan couldn't believe it. Mac had been right. That or this was a really elaborate hoax he was funding just to mess with him. The latter seemed unlikely, though. Mac was rich, but not rich enough to create an underground civilization of this magnitude and then populate it with actors. And how exactly did you know about this? Laney asked Mac with a dramatic head swivel. <laughs> Come on, it's all over the internet, Mac said. Don't you guys read? What is... The internet, Mora asked. Oh, it's incredible, Mac told her. There are these cat videos where the cats are doing these really cute... Dylan interrupted him. There has to be somebody down here who can get us back to the surface. Grebe thought for a minute. It is possible, but you won't find them here. The only ones I've heard of that could possibly get you back are the knowers. They're a small band of miners that live under the volcanoes, halfway across the planet. Stories tell of a time when they dug up towards the surface in order to hide from their enemies. I haven't seen it for myself, but the stories are consistent and should carry some truth. Max shook excitedly. Underground volcanoes? Yes, please. But you have flying ships here, 
Laney said, giving the man a skeptical look. Couldn't you just fly us up a tunnel? First of all, we cannot use the tunnel you came down because it is now under surveillance by the Union. Secondly, even if we wanted to, we don't have airships small enough to fit. You would have to drill your way out using some kind of machine I personally have never seen. What about these Union people you keep talking about? Dylan said. They sound like pretty powerful people. Wouldn't they be able to help us somehow? They are powerful, yes, Grebe said. But rarely do those in power seek to help those below them, at least down here. They'd only use you to gain even more power. How so? There are three groups of people that live in this part of Under-Earth. We, me and Mora, belong to the Teeley tribe. We're a simple people who've been banished to the Ring, an outer area of mud homes far away from the capital city, Ryan. Most of the Ryanites have divided into two groups, the Union and the Risers. The Union are those who currently hold power. They've been in power for many generations and have held on to control of this city by promising the people prosperity, which they've provided for the most part. But it has come at a cost. The Union rulers are cruel and mercilessly strict. Anyone that questions their way of doing things is exterminated or banished like us. The Teeley religious beliefs are not in accord with Union law, so we have been sent here to fend for ourselves. The other faction of Ryanites, who call themselves Risers, aspire to rise up to the surface of the earth before our due time. They're led by a cunning man by the name of Kai, who has quietly risen up the ranks and taken control of the movement at a very young age. He has started a rebellion within the city that is gaining momentum. The Risers claim that the Surfacers, or your people, are destroying the top layer, and that they'll leave us with nothing if we don't take our rightful place now. If Kai finds you, he will no doubt use you to fuel his cause. A surfacer who has breached our lair sends a dangerous message. If the Union finds you, they will kill you just to keep you from falling into the Riser's hands and giving them all they need to push their rebellion through. Sounds like our only option is to find these nowhere people in the volcanoes then, Dylan said. It would appear so. Grebe agreed. How do we find these volcanic people? Mac asked. Grebe thumbed through more crystals hanging from the ceiling. Let's see. Ah, here it is. He yanked one off and handed it to Dylan. This crystal holds a map of Under-Earth. The Noah volcanoes are not well marked, but you will find them beyond the boiling sea. It is an old map, likely outdated, but it should guide you in the right direction. Mora looked at him astonished. Father, are you sure you want to part with such a valuable crystal? Grebe waved her off. What value is a crystal if it is never used, daughter? I cannot think of a nobler cause. Thank you, Dylan said, taking the crystal and tucking it away. Do you have any more of those projector tube thingies? Ah, yes, of course. Grebe grabbed a small black tube from the other side of the room and handed it to Dylan. 
Mora looked even more amazed. Father, how can you know what their intentions are? They could be spies from above. Spies would not have wasted their time with a humble tealy garbage collector, my dear. They need our help, and you are going to get them out of the city. Me? Who better to guide them through the garbage lines? The garbage lines? Mora's jaw dropped. The sound of Union ships hummed in the sky above. Spotlights passed by the circular windows. You're out of time, Mora, Greep whispered. Take them to the opposite side of the ring and come straight back. Mora listened to the ships stall over their hut and glanced back at the window that was now glowing under a spotlight. Shouts were heard outside. Go! Greeb urged. He grabbed his glowing orange axe off the wall and gripped it tight. Clenching her teeth, Mora retrieved her spear in motion for the kids to follow her to the back door. Dylan, Mac, and Laney followed, and together they snuck out. The humming of Union ships was much louder now, and the roof of the mud hut practically glowed under the spotlight. Mora and the kids ducked along the wall and made their way towards a small mud box at the far end of the property. They froze at the sound of approaching soldiers. Mora muttered something harsh in another language. The soldiers were closing in on them from either end of the hut. Any second and they would be upon them. Mora looked out at the small box. It was too far. If they ran for it, they'd be seen. The soldiers' voices grew louder. Mora could see marching shadows. Grab onto my arms, Mora whispered. Confused, the kids reluctantly grabbed onto her arm. Then Mora lowered her head, closed her eyes, and began to tremble. The kids exchanged uneasy looks and watched in amazement as the crystals in Mora's blue hair started to glow brighter and brighter. Her trembling grew stronger. Suddenly, there was a quiet cracking noise like splitting ice and crack. They disappeared. Just as quickly as they'd vanished, they reappeared on the far side of the property next to the small box. Mora quietly gasped and nearly collapsed from exhaustion. Dylan, Mac, and Laney stared back at the hut, shaken and amazed at what had just happened. Union soldiers dressed from head to toe in gray armor were walking over the spot they just left, surprised and confused. Dylan shuddered at the cold, tingling feeling that rushed through his body. Did we just teleport? Mac whispered. Mora struggled to open the box's lid with her trembling hand. No time to explain. Get in. A foul stench filled the air as soon as the lid was opened. You are not making us go in there, Laney hissed. It is the only way, Mora assured her. Mac examined his chubby figure and looked doubtfully at the tiny opening. What if I don't fit? I will make you fit. Now go! With a little help from Mora's prodding spear, the kids were pushed through the opening. Climbing in after them, Mora took one last hateful look at the hovering Union ship and the patrolling soldiers, and then closed the hatch door.
Hey, Rocketeers, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Digger. I want to take a second to do a few Rocketeer shout-outs. Marley from Texas, Lily from Portland, Oregon, Josie from Idaho, and TJ from Tennessee. Thank you guys for listening and for leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And for the rest of you Rocketeers, if you haven't heard from now until the end of January 2020, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts with your first name and where you're listening from, I will do a shout out at the end of an episode. So go on Apple Podcasts, leave a review and subscribe, and listen next time for your shout out. Rocketeers, you're amazing. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Please share these stories with your friends on Facebook, on email, Instagram. Spread the word and grow the Rocketeer community. Till next time, Rocketeers, this is your host, Greg Webb.